Well, how many of you are feeling bold? How many of you are bold this morning, bold this weekend? Hey, we are going to continue our Be Bold sermon series. And if you have your little handy-dandy note sheet, go ahead, pull it out, because I'm going to give you the sermon title up front today. I will be bold with my fill-in-the-blank with my prayers. How many of you are ready to pray some bold prayers? You're ready to run out, buy a brand new building, raise $500,000 over the next two years and launch a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. How many of y'all are feeling pretty bold this morning? Okay, if not, then your wood is wet. If not, we are going to pray for you because today we're talking about bold prayers. If you have your Bible, go ahead, turn with me to Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. While you're finding your place, let me go ahead and set up by telling you a story. Back in the 1800s, there was a man, his name's Charles Spurgeon. Today we know Charles Spurgeon as the Prince of Preachers. He's kind of a big deal. His book, Lectures to My Students, is one of the must-read books for anyone who wants to go into ministry. So after the sermon's over, go ahead, swing by Amazon, buy yourself a copy of Lectures to My Students. You are going to be blessed for sure. But Spurgeon, back in the 1800s, he started his church when he was 19 years old. And within 10 years, that church had grown to over five thousand people. Now, in the 1800s, that's, that's a lot of people. Okay, that's a really big church. Even by our standards today, 5,000 is still a very large church. And it was very popular in that area. And so one day, there was a group of young men. They wanted to go see Charles Spurgeon preach himself. So they made the trip down to London, and they go in, and they're greeted at the door by an elderly man. And he says, I would love to be able to take you for a tour of the church. Does that sound interesting? And they're like, yeah, we would love that. So he takes them. He shows them the foyer or the foyer, depending on how fancy you are. And he shows them the lobby. He takes them into the sanctuary. He shows them the pews. He shows them the orchestra where the choir is at. He takes them to the hospitality room where they do next steps. Okay, they probably didn't do next steps back then, but we do next steps every first Sunday of the month. So join us for next steps. We'll feed you and watch your kids. Shameless plug. But so he takes them around and service is about to begin. And so he, he, he said they want to go and find their seat because it's going to get crowded. But the gentleman stops and says, hey, uh, before service begins, I want to show you our boiler room. Would you like to see the boiler room? And they're like, no, no, thank you. We don't really care to see the boiler room. He's like, no, 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 trust me. You need to see the boiler room. That's where we get all of our power. And they're like, we don't want to see the boiler room. But he kept pushing and said, you really need to see the boiler room. They're like, okay, fine, weird old man. I will go and visit this boiler room. So they go downstairs, down the end of the hall, and they open up the door, and that's when they see it. 500 plus men and women on their knees crying out to God in prayer. They're praying for the city. They're praying for their church. They're praying for their pastor. They're praying for their leaders. They're praying for the lost. They're praying for revival. And that old man, he looks at him and said, this is where the power of our church comes from. The power comes when the church prays. And they realized that that elderly gentleman was actually Charles Spurgeon himself. See, today we would call Charles Spurgeon the prince of preachers. But if you were to ask Spurgeon, what is the secret to a church? He would tell you that the power of a church only comes from its prayers. If you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer unlocks the power of God in a church. If you want to see people's lives change, the church must pray. If we want to see healings, the church must pray. If we want to see miracles, the church must pray. If we want to see healthy marriages, the church must pray. If we want to see children who we hand off the church for the next generation, then the church must pray. If we want to see the lost saved and souls changed, then we must pray together as a church because prayer unlocks the power of God in the life of a church. Amazing things happen when a church learns to pray. Spurgeon understands this. Spurgeon goes on and here's what he writes. He said, he said, if a church does not pray, that church is dead. 
He also says that the health of a church may be very accurately gauged from its prayer meeting. So it is that the prayer meeting is a graceometer, and from it we may judge the amount of divine working of God amongst the people. If God be near a church, that church prays. And if he be not there, the first sign of his absence will be a slothfulness when it comes to prayer. And that's why as we continue this bold series, the first and the most important thing that we can learn about how to be bold is to be bold with our prayers. I was talking with a man the other day who watched our service online last week, and he said, Byron, that sounds really bold. You mean in the middle of a pandemic, an economic uncertainty, in the middle of a crisis where everything in America is on fire, you're going to encourage your church to give boldly. You're going to encourage them to raise $500,000 in two years. You're going to buy and renovate, and you're going to move into a building, and you expect to double by doing it. That's a pretty bold move. That's a pretty bold statement. How do you plan on accomplishing these things? What are you going to do in order to do those? And normally, what I used to tell you would be, here's what we're going to do. Uh, We are going to send out a mass market mailer. And we're going to invite everybody in the community. We're going to get a brand new website. We're going to get some more banners. We're going to get some really warm, laughing, smiling people in the parking lot holding little pop signs. We're going we're gonna to take out a Facebook ad. We're going to double down on our Instagram and figure out the algorithm. We're going get to get a new assimilation process. And I'm going to preach a new sermon series. And that's what's going to bring everybody in. If you would have asked me two years ago what I'm going to do to be able to grow the church, that's probably what. I would have told you. But that's not what I'm going to tell you today. Because more and more, I've become convicted and convinced that while those things are good things, those aren't important things. Those aren't the necessary things. So you ask, what are you going to do to be able to accomplish this? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach our church how to pray. And not just pray any type of prayer. We're going to learn how to pray bold prayers. Prayers that get heaven's attention. Prayers that shake the heavens and move mountains. We're going to teach people how to pray with expectancy. Teach people how to pray with confidence. Teach people how to pray with boldness. Because it is prayer that unlocks the power of God in the life of a church. We saw it last week as we looked at the early church in the book of Acts. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he told them, go pray. In Acts chapter 1, they started praying. They had a little prayer meeting. They all gathered together. And what did they do? They prayed and they prayed. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. He said, you will receive power. The Holy Spirit shows up, which is the power. And the power only comes when the church learned how to pray. In Acts chapter 4, they were in a moment of crisis, a moment of opposition, when it seemed like everything was against them and they had no hope or no way forward. And what did they do in Acts chapter four? They all gathered together for a little prayer meeting. And it says, after they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to preach the word of God with boldness. Bold things happen when bold people begin to pray. If you want to see God move in your life, you got to pray. If you need wisdom for a decision, you got to pray. If you need breakthrough, you got to pray. If you want to see healing, you got to pray. If you want marriages to be restored, addictions to be broken, hope be left, hope be filled. If you want to see depression, shame, anxiety overcome, if you want to see these things, they only come when the church learns how to pray. If we want to raise the money, we got to pray. If we want to find the building, we got to pray. If we want to renovate it and move in and double in size, we got to pray. We got to pray together as a church because the power of God comes when God's people get alone and they begin to pray. It is prayer that unlocks the power of God in the life of a church. How many of you want to see God move in incredible ways? We got to pray. How many of you want to be a part of a church that sees God show up week in and week out? You got to pray. 
How many of you would love the seat next to you to be filled with a soul that you personally invited and they came and they met Jesus? Then you got to pray. How many of you have a friend or a family member, a loved one that you want to be able to see them stand in that baptism water and you get the privilege and you get the opportunity to dunk them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? You want to baptize your brother or your sister or your mom or your family member, your husband, your wife, your children, your neighbor, your enemy. You want to baptize them? That only happens when the church learns how to pray. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if God is not with them, the first thing that goes is their prayer life. The power of God comes when the church learns how to pray. And so what I want to do today is I want to teach you how to pray from Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It's actually the Lord's Prayer. But this isn't any type of prayer. In fact, this is a bold prayer from the lips of our Lord Jesus. If you have your Bible, we're going to read it all up front. And then I want to give you five ways to pray bold prayers. Here's what Jesus says. One day, Jesus was, what was he doing? What was he doing? Oh, yeah, he was praying. You know Jesus prays, right? Jesus prayed all the time. Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. There we go. Just seeing if you're with me, just as John taught his disciples how to pray. He said to them, when you pray, pray like this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. Hypothetically, let's just say maybe somebody likes you. And let's say you have a friend. Okay, for some of us, we would love that to happen. Let it be so, Jesus. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And you have another friend. You have two friends. And they're not Facebook friends. Like these people really know your name. A friend of mine is on a journey and they have come to me and they said, I have no food to offer him. And suppose, hypothetically, the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you that even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of the shameless audacity, circle that word, we're going to come back to it, he will surely get up and he will give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened to them. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though, who are are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Prayer is the only thing that Jesus ever taught his disciples how to do. I challenge you to go read through the Gospels and just look at the life of Jesus. And as the disciples are spending time with him, Jesus does amazing things. In the book of Mark that we've been studying for the last two years, we've seen the life and ministry of Jesus. And we've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him perform miracles. We've seen him walk on water, calm storms, multiply the fishes and the loaves to feed a group of 5,000 times two. He did the miracle twice. Didn't you know that? Not only did he feed a group of 5,000, but just a chapter later, he goes and he feeds another group of 4,000. He did it multiple times, multiplying the fishes and the loaves. We've seen Jesus do amazing things. But what's curious to me is that Jesus never taught his disciples how to do those things. I mean, if we wanted to draw a large crowd, you think Jesus would have taught them how to draw a large crowd. I mean, that's what every church in the world is trying to figure out right now. How do we draw a large crowd? Jesus didn't tell them how to do that. How do we heal the sick? Jesus didn't tell them how to heal the sick. How do we perform miracles? Lord, how do we walk on water? Because, you know, Schlitterbahn in the summer, that would be a lot of fun, just going walking on water in front of everybody, yeah? But he doesn't teach us how to do that either. I mean, multiplying fishes and loaves, how to multiply food, that would be really great for our Turkey Day giveaway. 
Like we'd only need to go to H-E-B and buy one turkey and then we could have Ethan pray over it and we could feed the entire city. But he didn't teach him how to do that. He did not, can you believe this? He didn't even teach him how to turn water into wine. Like that would be a really good one, wouldn't it? Like, I mean, not even box wine. Like some of y'all, y'all be drinking box wine. Jesus didn't give him box wine. Jesus gave him the best wine. But Jesus didn't teach him because he knew we probably couldn't handle that responsibility. He knew we probably couldn't handle that in a responsible way. And so he's like, I'm not going to give you that one, okay? That one's just for me. All right, when we get to heaven, the marriage piece of the lamb, that's when we'll do that. But other than that, he didn't teach his disciples how to do any of those things. The only thing that we read that Jesus teaches his disciples how to do is to pray. Why? Because when you learn how to pray, the impossible becomes possible. When you learn how to pray, when you seek God, when you cry out to God, when you go before God with your requests and you begin to pray to him, the impossible becomes possible because you learn how to pray. The only thing he ever taught his disciples to do was to pray. And so what I want to do is I want to take the template and the model that Jesus gives his disciples, and I want to use it as an opportunity for us to learn how to pray. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you five ways to pray bold prayers. Bold people understand the importance of prayer. And the first thing is this, is that bold people pray consistently. Look what Jesus does here. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray just as John taught his disciples. When you read through the Bible, Jesus is always praying. Okay, he's praying before he starts his ministry. He's praying during the middle of his ministry. Before he does a miracle or a healing, Jesus prays. Whenever he blesses the multiplication of food, he prays over it. And at the end of Jesus's life, even while he's hanging on the cross, do you know what he's doing? He is praying. Everything that Jesus does starts and ends with prayer. And one thing we learn from the life of Jesus is that Jesus prays with consistency. His disciples recognized this as well because the secret to the power of Jesus' own life was the amount of time that he spent with God in prayer. Now, here's the question for us. If Jesus needed to pray, then how much more important is it for us to pray? If Jesus being very God of very God, the second member of the Trinity, entering into human existence to seek and to save the lost, if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? He was before the beginning, and he helped create the entire universe. The book of Colossians says that by him, to him, for him, through him, all things are held together. And yet, even while he was on the earth, Jesus needed to get alone with God and spend time in prayer. And that's Jesus. And so if Jesus needed to pray, then how much more do we need to pray in our own life? I would submit to you that prayer is probably the most important thing that you will ever devote yourself to, spending time in God's presence so you can experience God's power for your life. But that doesn't happen by accident. No, it comes with a consistency. See, I get asked all the time, how do I learn how to pray? Pastor Byron, I want to pray. I want to grow in my prayer life, but I don't really know where to begin. And so how do I pray? And I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. Like it's going to totally revolutionize your prayer life. And it's so simple. You're going to be like, how did I not think about that before? But, but really, get your pen out. Get ready to write this down because it's going to be really good. Okay, you ready? The more you pray, the more you'll pray. It's crazy, right? The more you pray, the more you will pray because there is a consistency that comes with prayer. How many of you enjoy exercising? Okay, I said enjoy. Okay, if you just have to do it, just, just push it. No, how many of you enjoy exercising, right? Okay, so like you understand this. So you don't just start off by bench pressing 300 pounds, do you? No, no, no. You have to start small and then incrementally over time, you get stronger and stronger and healthier and better. It's the same way with your prayer life, right? When you start praying in the morning, spend five minutes, 
And then eventually that five minutes through consistency is going to grow into 10 minutes. And then you're going to push yourself and then you're going to stretch yourself and you're going to challenge yourself. And then you're having 30 minutes of quiet time in the morning with the Lord. And then you're connecting with God over lunch because you connect with him first thing in the morning. It's a lot easier to stay connected to him throughout the rest of the day. So you spend 30 minutes in the morning. You listen to worship music. You pray on your way to work. You spend a couple of minutes on your lunch break. When you come home, you pray before your meal. When you're tucking your kids in, you pray over them. And then you and your spouse sit down at the end of the long day and ask each other, how can I pray for you? And what started as five minutes in the morning eventually becomes an hour throughout the course of the day. But that only happens when you build a rhythm, a routine, and a habit of consistency. What started as 10 minutes grows, and eventually it's not going to be hard for you to spend three hours in an evening with God because you want to spend time with him. That comes with a consistency. See, for, for me, many of you guys know that I, I like running. Okay, so I, I run pretty much every single morning. Okay, but before COVID-19, I never ran. Okay, the only time I would ever run before that is if I was running late, <laughs> which was Ashley's fault, or if I was running from something. Okay, or to the kitchen. Other than that, I never ran. But when COVID happened, well, my gym closed down. And so I, I could no longer go to the gym. So I needed to do something. And so I decided I was going to start waking up at five o'clock in the morning so I could go out for the run. Now, when I first started, I could only run for about a mile before giving up and wheezing like a fat kid at gym. Like that's all I, I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I get the side cramps and I was just, it was, I couldn't do it. But I continued to push myself. I continued to motivate myself. I continued to make it a habit and a discipline in my life. And through consistency, it's not unusual for me to run five miles six days a week, sometimes 10 miles. And I'm beginning to train for a marathon right now. So if you do those things in a consistent way, you'll watch how exponentially your prayer life will begin to grow. Because the more you pray, the more you will pray. But what I hear from some people is this. They say, I don't have the time to pray. They say, I would love to learn to pray, but I don't have the time to pray. Can I just tell you something? I love you, but if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. See, people don't have a problem doing what they want to do. And so if you want to pray, you will pray. And if you don't pray, you don't want to pray. So you need to cut something out of your life. Say, well, I don't know how to do it. Well, if you spend three hours a day on your phone, okay, limit your screen time by increasing your prayer time. Okay, you have time to watch Netflix, then you have time to pray. I love what John Piper says. He says, at the end of days, we will not be able to stand before God. One of the great uses of Twitter will not give us an excuse for our prayerlessness. If we have time to do all of these things, then we also have time to pray. You got to cut something out of your life. Because the truth is, you've already cut something out of your life. You just cut God out of your life. By choosing one thing over him, you've already cut him out of your life. And that's why you're not seeing the answers to prayers. Because you're not spending time with him in prayer. Martin Luther, the great reformer, during the middle of the throes of the revolution, of the reformation, when he's liberating the church from the papacy, he says, I am so busy that I must devote three hours in prayer. If you're too busy to pray, the truth is you are too busy. If you want to see God's power in your life, you got to spend time with him in prayer. It starts with just a little bit in the morning, connecting with him throughout the day developing the habit and the discipline through consistency. And over time, your prayer life will exponentially grow and you will be see, begin to see God do amazing things through the course of your life. But it starts with simply learning to pray itself, which leads us to the second thing. So number one is that bold people pray consistently. And then number two, bold people pray relationally. They say, Jesus Teach us how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? See, Jesus wants you to pray. And so they say, yeah, I'll teach you how to pray. And here's where Jesus starts. He starts by using this word right here, very, very important, Father. If you forget everything that I say for the rest of this sermon, please remember this one thing. God is a Father. 
and that God loves you with the love and the affection that a father has towards his children, that he loves to listen to you, to spend time with you, to care for you, to be attentive. His ear is turned towards you. He answers prayers because God is a father and we pray relationally. Now, this is a a bold statement. Because up until this point, nobody had ever considered the God of the Bible to be a father. In the Old Testament, there's only two references to the father heart of God. And that one was allegorical and the other was national. But they never perceived God as being a father in a relational sense. And then Jesus comes along and 42 times throughout the gospels, Jesus says, father, 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 father. When his baptism happens, the voice of the father comes down and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Later on, he says, I only do what my father in heaven tells me to do. In that day, you've asked and you have not asked anything in my name, but I tell you, I go to the father and he will do it for you. And at the end of his life, as he's praying in the garden, he says, Abba, Father, on the cross, he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then he tells us this radical, crazy, bold thing. When you pray, pray, Father. If you forget anything else, remember this. God is a father, and he loves you like a father loves their child. You can read the books about prayer. You can read the theologians about prayer, the scholars. You can watch the YouTube videos. You could even build an entire library all about prayer. And those are fine. I have a library at my house with an entire section all about prayer. You can read the books, the notes, the footnotes, the cliff notes from all the dead guys that you could find. And that's wonderful. But if you really want to learn how to pray, put down a book and watch a child interact with their dad. That's what prayer looks like. Whenever you see a little kid walking down the street, reaching out to hold their daddy's hand, that's prayer. When you ever see a little girl go and sit in their daddy's lap, that's prayer. Whenever you see a son wrestling with their dad, you know what that is? That's prayer. Whenever a kid has a bad dream and they run and they cuddle in the bed with their, with their dad and they snuggle up and they cuddle up, you know what that is? That's prayer. Whenever you're walking through Target and you see someone's kid, not my kid, someone else's kid having a nuclear meltdown. <laughs> that's my kid. That's my kid. Let's just be honest. Sometimes that's prayer too, isn't it? That's what prayer looks like. If you want to learn how to pray, watch how a child interacts with their dad. But some of you, you're going to struggle with this. And here's the reason why. Because you don't view God as a father. Maybe you had a bad dad. Maybe you had a distant dad. And so you do not perceive God as a father. And that causes a warped understanding of your prayer life. Because what I've experienced is that some people, when it comes to prayer, they don't see God as a father. Instead, they see him in one of three ways. Some people see God as a genie as if God exists to grant your wishes. That prayer would be a magic lamp, and when you're in a situation or when you're in a need and you want something, all you got to do is bust out that magic lamp, give it a nice rub, and then the genie pops out and says, your wish is my command, but that's not how it works. And then you get frustrated because, well, it's not showing up, and God's not showing up, and I don't understand why prayer is not working because God is not a genie. Number two, some people see God as an employee, As if they go to a restaurant and like God's there to serve them. And so they like to sit down and they say, okay, here's my prayers. Okay, you ready to take my order? Okay, I would like to find a girlfriend who thinks I'm interesting and laughs at my jokes. And I want her to be 5'5", with blonde hair and blue eyes. And Lord, I, I just want, uh, I want a job. I want uh, to move out of my mom's house and get my own place, God. And Lord, I, I, I want uh, to get a new car, okay, and a side of ranch. So Jesus, go get that for me, please. And then Jesus is like, I don't take orders. Right, that's kind of the, one of the perks of being God is that you don't take orders from people. That's one of the good things about being a sovereign is you get to do what you want to do. And then some people get all upset because God doesn't do what they told him to do. And I'm just wondering, maybe God's a little upset because we ain't doing what he told us to do either. And so we're at an impasse. But here's the thing is that God is not an employee. And then number three, some people see God as a computer. 
They see religion, they see faith, they see the Bible, and they see prayer as a computer. What do I mean by that? That if you just push the right buttons, if you get the right sequence, and if you apply the right algorithm, then on the other end, out pops the answer. So if I read this translation of the Bible, God has to answer my prayers. If I dress this certain way, God has to answer my prayers. If I pray in my prayer language, then God must answer my prayers. If I go to the right denomination, if I'm a part of the right religion, if I say the right things and and I don't watch those movies and I don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do, then God has to answer my prayers because I'm a really good person. I got the answer right. And Jesus, wouldn't you have to do what I said to do because this is the way that I am? That's a religious prayer thinking that God hears you for your many words, hypocrite. It's a computer. You think if you just do X, Y, and Z, then God owes you something. Listen, God is not a computer. God is not an employee. And God is not a genie that exists to grant your wishes, but rather he is a father that loves to answer your prayers. We pray relationally, Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is a father who loves you. If you forget anything that I say, just remember this. You can go to God anytime, anywhere, because he loves you. Which leads to the third way that bold people know how to pray. Bold people know how to pray this. Bold people know how to pray congregationally. See, in one sense, yes, God is a father and we are his children. And you do have a personal relationship with God. I understand that. I get that. Hey, I even got a personal relationship with him too. But your personal relationship is not a private relationship. There is a public aspect to our relationship with God. That God is a father, but he adopts each and every one of us as sons and daughters into his family. This is what bold people understand. Bold people understand that this life is not about you, that there are other people in the world, there are other people in the church, and God loves each and every one of us as if there was only one of us, but there is not just one of us. We're all together in this. And so bold people know the importance of praying congregationally. See, I think that this is one of the biggest problems in the church in America right now is because some, everything is so me-centered and self-focused, we have forgotten about the gathering of the saints and the importance of congregational prayers. That people come to church and they say, what's in it for me? What am I getting out of it? I just didn't like worship this morning. It just wasn't for me. That sermon this morning, it just wasn't for me. I go to small group and, you know, it just, I just didn't get anything out of it. What's in it for me? And I get really worried because my fear is that in America, the Holy Trinity is no longer Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but me, myself, and I. Because people are so focused on themselves, they've missed out on what God is doing in other people's lives. Do you ever see what God's doing in someone's life around you? Just ask him in the lobby. One of my favorite questions to ask people now is not how are you doing? One of my favorite questions to ask is what is God doing in your life? Because I have testimony after testimony of what God is doing in other people's lives. Testimonies about husbands who are now coming to church faithfully. Testimonies about a man who was delivered from alcoholism last week in the altars. He came up front to receive prayer. He hasn't had a drop all week long. Don't tell me God ain't working in our church. Maybe you don't know because you don't ask anybody because you do everything by yourself. There's a congregational importance that we are brothers and sisters and in the family of God. We have elevated the personal relationship with God to where now we say, I don't even need to go to church. I don't need to go to church. You know why? Because I am the church. No, you ain't. You ain't the church. We are the church. Together, we are the church. Listen, you can be a Christian by yourself, but you need other people if you want to be the church. Right? And we, we, we need to be around. God did not make us to do life alone. He created us to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with others. And if you're not gathering as the church and praying, you are robbing yourself of the power of God and what God wants to do. Bold people understand the importance of congregational prayers. 
In fact, you cannot even pray the Lord's Prayer on your own. Did you know that? See, when I was a kid, we used to memorize the Lord's Prayer, and we'd have to say it all the time. We'd say it before soccer games, or maybe we'd say it in our own private devotions. I know those of you who are raised in high church, like maybe Catholic or Episcopalian or Presbyterian, you had to memorize the Lord's Prayer, and you would pray that three times a day. I get it, but do you know that it's impossible for you to pray the Lord's Prayer on your own? I'll show you. Look at the words of the Lord's Prayer. Give us... This day, our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. When Jesus teaches him how to pray, he says, you need other people in your life. If you're taking notes, I want you to understand this. If you want to be a bold person, you got to surround yourself with bold people. If you want to be a bold person and learn to pray bold prayers, then you need to surround yourself with bold people. See, Proverbs would even teach this as well. Proverbs says, the one who walks with the wise becomes wise. Maybe another way to say it is the one who prays with the bold becomes bold. Have you ever got around somebody who just had some bold prayers? Their faith built your faith, didn't it? Their encouragement made you feel encouraged. What was in them began to rub off on you, and it began to motivate, encourage, and it inspired you to step out in boldness as well. If you want to be bold, surround yourself with bold people because you can't be bold by yourself. You're going to need somebody to bless you, somebody to speak into your life, somebody to encourage you, somebody to motivate you. Somebody say, we can do this. You got this. Come on, church. Let's be bold together. You need to be bold with some other people. This is the importance of congregational prayers, but this is also the importance of why we do first Wednesday prayer nights, that we gather as a church and pray every first Wednesday because it inspires us to be bold. We sing songs of worship. We have a devotional message. And then we spend the last hour just seeking God's will and praying as a church. We pray prophetically. We speak words of life and encouragement into others. Some use their spiritual gifts, whether it be words of wisdom, words of knowledge, into other people's lives. We take prayer requests. The altars are open. We're praying for the sick. We're praying for healing. We're praying for miracles. We're praying for our church. We're praying for revival. And we're motivating one another to step out in faith, and for us to be bold. you got to be bold with other people. This is the importance of congregational prayers in the life of a church. Yes, God is a father. He loves you, and he wants to spend time with you, but God the Father also wants his kids to spend time with one another as well. And God does something unique in the prayer meeting that you don't get in your car, you don't get in your shower, You don't get, as you're sitting in your bed, you don't get that. God does something unique when the family of God cries out to their father together. Which leads us to the fourth point. Bold people pray audaciously. Look at at what this says. This is crazy. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine is on a journey who has come to me, and I have no food to offer them. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you that even though he will not get up and give you bread because of the friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Everybody say, the audacity. The audacity. The shameless audacity audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus says, okay, I've already taught you how to pray. Now let me give you an example of what prayer looks like. Let's say you have a friend. He's coming in from out of town because he wants to go to the one big bold weekend at Redemption on March 5th through 7th. 
Okay, and so he's coming in from out of town because the conference is coming up. He's really excited to see the worship night and all the guest preachers. And he wants to be able to celebrate the five-year anniversary of what God is doing here at Redemption. And so he's coming in to visit for the one big, bold weekend. And you wake up in the middle of the night and you go, I forgot to go to the grocery store. I don't have any food to give him. And you look and you see it's 2 o'clock in the morning. So you have a really bright idea. You're going to go knock on your neighbor's door. Two o'clock in the morning. So you jump up out of bed and you run next door and you go and you knock on your neighbor's door. Hey, I got a friend who's coming and I need some food for him. What is that guy going to say? He's going to say, get away from me, you crazy person. Go get your own food. But see, this is before you could go to Jack in the Box at two o'clock in the morning Right? You couldn't go to the 24-hour Walmart at 2 o'clock in the morning, not even if you wanted to, but you could, but you can't because there is no 24-hour Walmart. And so you, you have to do something, and so you go and you start knocking on your neighbor's door. Hey, I need some food for my friend. I need a Big Mac. No, I need three Big Macs. With supersize the fry, I need an apple pie and a Diet Coke because we're trying to watch our figure, okay? So I need three Big Macs. Open up the door and let me in. Now, if you're that friend, what are you going to say? You're going to say, leave me alone. Get away from me. Go get your own food. Too bad. So sad. No food for you. That's what you're going to do, right? You're going to be like, shh. Because Jesus says something else that a lot of parents will understand. What does he say? He says, my kids are sleeping. How many of you are parents of young children? So you know the severity of what Jesus just said, waking up the kids. If you wake up the kids, you wake up mom. And if mama's awake, it's bad news for everybody, right? I mean, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so he says, you're going to wake up my kids. Now, listen, I don't know what you do in your house because that's really none of my business, okay? But... In my house, sleep is sacred, and naps are a spiritual discipline. Okay? And one of the worst things in the world is when a UPS driver or maybe a neighborhood kid who's trying to sell some chocolate for T-ball comes and starts knocking on the door, and my family's asleep because it sets off a chain reaction, and it starts with my dog, Shiner. Shiner is a 14-year-old blind and toothless Yorkie who thinks he is the most ferocious guard dog in the world. So if you come to my house and you knock on the door, all of a sudden you just hear this nine-pound terror terrier just running around, just barking and barking and barking and barking. Well, that's where it starts, but then it wakes up my kids. And my daughters, God bless them, they weird. Like, I'm sure that when your kids cry, is they sound like an angel. Like, when your kids cry, they're like, ah, crying, right? That's what your kids probably sound like. Compared to my kids, that's what they sound like. Okay, because my daughter Esther, when she was a baby, here's how she would cry. I didn't know whether to take her to the hospital or get an exorcism, okay? She would be like this. She would, uh, 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 uh. That's how my daughter Esther cried. I'm like, what is wrong with this girl? Ashley, what did you do? Um, and I thought that was bad. And then along came Ruth. Y'all probably know this because you might hear her in the nursery. All the nursery workers are like, oh, yeah. Like, my daughter Ruth, when she cries, here's what she sounds like. Like, we call her Ruth Baca because she sounds like Chewbacca. She's like. Okay, okay, okay. Y'all, bold prayers. Y'all be praying for me, okay? And so when someone comes and knocks on our door, here's what it sounds like. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Ruff, ruff. Stop waking up my kids. <laughs> and Jesus says, that's what prayer is like. How many of you would have the audacity to go wake up your neighbor at 2 o'clock in the morning for 
some bread. How many of you would be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go at two o'clock in the morning and I'm going to knock on my neighbor's door and I'm not just going to ask for one loaf of bread. I'm going to ask him for three loaves of bread. How many of you are willing to do that? You're like, no, I don't even answer a phone call if there's not a caller ID. I am definitely not going to get up and go knock on somebody else's door. And that's the reason we don't see answers to prayer in our life. Because we don't pray prayers that cost us something. We don't pray prayers that involve risk. We don't pray prayers that challenge us. We pray really safe prayers. Maybe God will answer it, that'd be cool, but my life wouldn't be affected either way if he didn't. I'll pray for this, but if God doesn't answer, well, you know what, I can just accomplish it on my own. We pray prayers that are easier for us to answer than for God to answer. We pray really safe prayers. Maybe he'll do it, maybe he won't, but it won't affect me either way. And so we pray these safe prayers that cost us very little and don't involve any risk. We pray, we pray prayers like this. Um, Lord, I just pray today for a hedge of protection around me. What does that even mean? What is a hedge of protection? Like you're walking around in a bush, you're just kind of like this, like in a bush, you got a hedge of protection around you, right? Or, or we pray prayers like, um, we, we will pray prayers like this. Um, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. While you're eating 3,000 calories from Cracker Barrel, God's like, uh, I could part the Red Sea, but that gravy is going in those arteries, okay? There ain't no blessedness, all right? I cannot. There are some things that even God can't do, all right? It should be, okay. Or, or, or we pray, my, my favorite one is, um, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, who eats the fastest, eats the most. Like, I can answer that one all day long on my own. Or, or, or we pray like this, um, hey, you teach your kids, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Okay. Weird prayer to teach your children. They might need therapy later in life, okay? Because they're always like, is tonight the night? Is tonight the night? I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, or we just do, like, in small groups, we're like, I just have an unspoken prayer request. I just have an unspoken. Just so you know, uh, there is no such thing as an unspoken towards God because he already knows. He already knows. But we pray these really safe prayers, prayers that don't involve risk, prayers that don't stretch us or challenge us, prayers that don't cost us anything. And Jesus says, that's not the way I want you to pray. I want you to pray with shameless audacity. The audacity for you to go before God. If you're going to wake God up, you might as well give him a reason. If you're going to go to heaven and petition the Lord of Lord who is on the throne to be able to get up and respond to you, you might as well make it worth his while. Pray some big prayers. Pray some bold prayers. Pray some prayers that scare you. Pray some prayers you're like, I think I'm crazy. I think I'm crazy. Pray some prayers like that. I'll go for prayer walks in my neighborhood and I have my headphones in. They probably think I'm crazy. Because I'm just walking around. Okay, God, here's what I, God, where are you at? God, what, I'm just praying for this today. My neighbors are like, lock the door. He might come ask me for some bread. Lock the door, lock the door. <laughs> right, pray some bold prayers. Pray some prayers that scare you. Because of the shameless audacity. I want you to write this down. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. God is not offended by bold prayers. In fact, God invites you to pray boldly. Here's actually what Jesus tells him here. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give to you as much as you need. That word there in the Greek where it says audacity, from the Greek, it's impudence, which is the only time in the entire New Testament this word is used. And it means the, it means the rudeness, it means the gall, it means the nerve, it means the brazenness, and it means the boldness for you to go and to ask God for him to do something in your life. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. Listen, there's some times where you do need to be silent before the Lord. There's some times for you to be introspective, for you to be reflective, to bust out your ESV journaling Bible and sit alone with your chamomile tea and your, your incense and say, okay, I'm just going to soak in the presence of God right now. There are some times for that. 
But on the other hand, there are some times where you got to get up and you got to start banging on the gates of heaven. And you say, God, where are you at? God, I need you. God, I need you to come through for me. God, I need help in this moment. God, where are you? You said in your word that you answer prayers. You said that you hear me. God, I'm just holding you to your own word right now. God, I need you in my life. God, I am knocking on this door. I know that you're in there. God, I know that you hear me. God, I am not getting up until you answer my prayers. God, where are you at? Sometimes you got to pray like that. And now some of you, you're thinking, I don't need to do that. I don't think I need to do that. I just don't think that you have to go to God in that, in that way. You know, why do we even need to pray? Because God already knows our thoughts before we ask. And so, I mean, like, I just don't think you need to do that. You're wrong. And that's why you don't see a lot of answers to prayer in your life. Because you're wrong. Say, so, well, I just think that God, you know, you're wrong. You know why? Because Jesus says you're wrong. Look what his words here. Why does God answer the prayers? Because of your shameless audacity, your prayers will be heard. This is an invitation from Jesus for you to be bold. If you're going to wake God up, not that he's really sleeping, but you might as well give him something to answer. Because here, here's, what, here's what God sees when you pray these prayers that scare you, when you pray these bold prayers, when you pray like this, here's what God sees. God says, wow, they really believe in me. They really think that I made the heavens and the earth. They really believe the scriptures and the stories that are in the Bible, that I caused the sun to stand still. They believe that. They believe that I parted Red Seas before. They believe that I allowed them to walk across the Jordan on dry land. They really believe that I caused it to not rain for 40 days, and then Elijah prayed, and it began raining. They believe that. They believe that I fed them with manna from heaven and brought ravens to bring them food. They really believe that I answer prayers, and now those people are coming to me. Hey, ghost, get in here. Hey, Holy Ghost, come here, come here. Look at that. Look, listen to this woman's prayers. She really thinks I'm going to answer her prayers. Hey, Jesus, come over here. Come over here. Listen to this. L listen to his prayers. They really believe that I am the Alpha and the Omega. They really believe that I am the first and I am the last. They really believe that I sit on a throne surrounded by angels and worship and glorify me. They really believe that I can do this. And now they're coming and they're asking me, oh, I'm going to answer that prayer because it's God's reputation on the line, not yours. That's God's fame, not yours. God loves to answer bold prayers because bold prayers, they honor God. Pray a prayer that is so big, so wild, so crazy that only God can get the glory for it, that you could never accomplish it on your own. People say, how did that happen in his life? That's impossible. That's impossible. And you could say, with God, all things are possible because my God hears me. My God loves me. My God, he answers my prayers. Pray with some audacity. Pray with some boldness. Pray with some confidence. I'm praying for you. I'm believing for you. I'm believing that every single one of you is gonna be able to lead one person to Jesus this year. I'm believing that we're all going to get to baptize one person. I'm praying over our church that marriages will be healthy, not just good marriages, but better and biblical marriages. I am praying for the children in our church that they would know that they are loved, that they don't have a junior Holy Spirit, that they are just as filled with God's grace as anybody else. And we're going to give this church to them in 20 years. I am praying for jobs, not just any job, a full-time job with benefits. I'm praying that you're going to get a boss that treats you with dignity and respect. That's the kind of job that I'm believing for each and every single one of you. I am praying that my brothers will meet Jesus and I get to baptize them at the end of the year, just like I baptized my mom last year. I'm praying for your family members. I'm praying for your co-workers and neighbors. I'm praying for a testimony and a legacy that comes out of you. I'm praying for you. Will you pray with me? Will we pray together? All oh, the audacity will when a church learns to pray. Yeah. 
I'm praying that God has a building for us. Do I know where it's at? Nope, I don't know, but I know that he knows, and I'm going to pray to him because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Oh, he's got a building in Beaumont. I can guarantee you for that. And I'm not going to him asking for one loaf of bread. Oh, I'm audacious enough to ask for three loaves of bread. I want a building that's 20,000 square feet that has 30-foot ceilings, 200 parking spaces, 425 seats in the auditorium, and enough room for the kids to run around here and have a blast while they do it. That's what I'm praying for. Because if I'm going to pray a prayer, I better pray a bull prayer. I don't want to bother God with anything less. If he has something for me, I want it. I don't want one loaf. I want three. The audacity of prayer. Which leads to the the final point. Bold people pray expectantly. Some of you, you're like, yeah, Pastor Byron, that's good. Woo, that's good. Others, you're like, I don't know. Because, you know, like, Byron, that could be kind of dangerous for you to be talking about prayer like that because people might end up thinking that God really wants them to pray. Or that God actually cares about them. People might actually start thinking that God might answer their prayers. And, you know, that's really dangerous to get people's hopes up. Well, because, you know, like, God doesn't always answer prayers. You know, I mean, like, there's some people, they pray in great faith. And, like, nothing happened. Right, you know, I, I know somebody, you know, they came down front and they received prayer and the pastor prayed over them. And, well, you know, like, nothing happened came down front to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and nothing happened. You know, my Aunt Ethel, she came up front to receive prayer, and they prayed, and they prayed, and she was a godly woman of God. Well, now, now she's a dead woman, but either way, you know, so just God didn't answer her prayer, and, you know, just sometimes just God doesn't answer prayers. We even have a song, sometimes God doesn't answer unanswered prayers, right? Uh, not a worship song. <laughs> Bad theology. And what I think is this, is that so many times we talk ourselves out of what God wants to do. Because we have insecurity in our prayers, we don't pray with expectancy in our prayers. You say, well, based upon my experience, this is what happens. I love you, but we don't build our theology based off of your experience. We build theology based off of the scriptures. And if your experience doesn't line up with the scriptures, then there's a misinterpretation of your experience, not what the Bible says. So let me just read to you what Jesus says about prayer. Here's Jesus' own words. And so if you disagree with me, that's fine. People disagree with me all the time. But if you disagree with this, you're really just disagreeing with the Lord. Because here's what Jesus says. So I say to you, Jesus is saying this, by the way. So his disciples said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, okay, here's, here, here's what I want to tell you. So I say to you, this is from the Lord Jesus himself in the red letters. Jesus says, so I will say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus doesn't go through a big long list and say, you know, I'm going to tell the disciples this, ask and it will be given to you. But really there's certain qualifiers behind it. You know, like those medication commercials you see where it's like, this will cure your sinuses, but your head may explode. You know, he he doesn't do that. He's like, you you know, here's all this amazing, wonderful medication that's totally going to change your life. And it might give you diarrhea. Don't take if you're breastfeeding or alive and have a pulse, right? It doesn't go through the big long list of the qualifiers. He just says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For, for what? For everyone who asks. Not Pastor Byron. Not my grandmother. Not some missionary planting churches in underground nations, closed Muslim worlds, or in the bush in Africa. Everyone, anyone, all, and that means you. Everyone who asks, 
will receive because the father does not play favorites with his kids. You can go to him, you can ask, and you receive. This is so important to Jesus. He even says it again. For everyone else receives, the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. And then he goes, which one of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if your son asks for an egg, is going to give him a scorpion? That would make for a really bad Christmas, right? Like, what did you get coming down the stairs? It's a scorpion. We don't do that to our kids. Why do we think God would do that to us? Because we don't understand that God is a father and he loves us the way a father loves his kids. If you then, though, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, and the door will be open to you. Bold people, they pray because they believe the Bible. They expect God to do what God said that he would do. Bold people pray with an expectation in their heart and on their life and on their lips when they go to God with prayer. They expect that God will answer. How many of you have been told that God doesn't always answer prayers? You ever been told that? You ever said that? Okay, I don't believe that's true. I believe that God 100% answers every single prayer that you ever pray. Because he's a father. And parents know that there's three answers to any way a kid asks for something. Yes, no, and later. Right? And if you don't answer your kid, they're going to bug you until you give them an answer, aren't they? They're like, hey, mommy, 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 daddy, 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 mommy, 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 daddy. That's what prayer is like. And so there's three answers, yes, no, and later. So like, let's say my daughter, Esther, she comes up to me and she says, daddy, I want a hug. What's my answer? Yeah, absolutely, baby. Come on, give me a hug. Give her a big old hug. I pick her up, kiss her on the cheek. Anytime she asks for a hug, the answer is always yes. What about if she were to come to me and she says, daddy, I want a boyfriend. What's the answer? No, 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 no. Actually, that answer is later. Later, much, much, much later. Okay, but dads, we understand this. Yes, no, and later. So my daughter Esther right now, she's really big into roller skating. So I think Ashley showed her a picture of me roller skating when I was in my early 20s, and she was like, I want to learn how to roller skate. So she's like, Daddy, can you please teach me how to roller skate? And so she's always asking, Daddy, can we go roller skating today? Can we go roller skating now? Can we go roller skating today? And the other morning, it's like 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm drinking my coffee. And as I'm drinking my coffee, wiping the crust out of my eyes, my daughter Esther sneaks down the stairs and she pulls out her roller skates. 6 o'clock in the morning, she's like, Daddy, can we please, please, please go roller skating today? It's like 20 outside. It's still dark. I haven't had my coffee. What was my answer? Later. See, so many of us, we think whenever God says no, we think that's it. But even children understand that that's not it. Children even understand that a no really means a not yet. I think we limit God because we accept a no way too quickly. Just like a dad who just loves it when the kids come and ask we just keep going and asking, okay, God, is now the time? Is now the moment? Is now the time? Can we do this today? Can you answer this prayer now? It's an invitation for us to bring our requests to him, to make our ask to him. And if you, though, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven do and give good gifts to you, to those who ask? You know, I think one of the greatest tragedies in the church is that that prayers go unanswered. But I think the greatest tragedy in the church is that for so many people, their prayers go unasked. Jesus says, I want you to ask, and it will be given to you. I want you to seek, and it will be open to you. I want you to knock, and that door will be open to you. The greatest tragedy in many people's lives and in the church is not that prayers go unanswered, but that so many times because of our insecurity, we do not pray with expectancy and we say no for God. And we don't give him a chance to say yes to us. The greatest tragedy is that many people, you included, myself included, we have dreams inside of our hearts that we've been too afraid to ask God for. Because what if he says no? My challenge for you is this, don't say no for God. 
let him answer you. He says, ask me. I want you to ask me. I want you to ask me. I want you to seek me. And when you seek me, you will find me. And when you keep knocking, that door will be open to you. This is why prayer is the most important thing a church will ever learn how to do. Because it's about seeking after God and receiving from him. So here's what I want to do as a church. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to pray for a building right now. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Congregationally, we're at a place where in one year we will be homeless if God doesn't show up. And so what I want us to do is I want us to ask because he says, ask and it will be given to us. This is God's reputation, not mine, not ours. And so we're gonna pray a prayer where God answers and we're gonna believe in faith that God will do what God said that he'd do. Ask and it will be given to you. So as a church, we did it first service. I wanna do it again. Raise your hands to the Lord. And just like Spurgeon's church at the beginning of the sermon, the boiler room, I want your faith to build and I want you to ask God right now. Say, God, you invited us to ask. And so I'm asking that you would give us a building today. I'm asking that you would put it on our hearts to give above and beyond, to be able to meet the need. And God, I know that there is a building here in Beaumont that is the future home of Redemption Church. God, you know where it's at. I'm believing you. I'm trusting in you. I'm holding you to your word. I know that you got miracles you're waiting to pour out on us. I know you got stories of life change that are waiting on the other side of this move. And so God, where is this building at? Lead us, guide us, give us the wisdom to be able to understand it. If an owner has it right now, Father God, I am just asking that you would begin to turn his heart towards the church, that you would begin to put it on his heart, God, to just give the church the opportunity to give the building, to give the money, whatever it might take. God, I am praying to you. You say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. We're looking for a building, so we're seeking you and knocking. That door will be open. There is a door in downtown and we're knocking on every door, on every building until we find our home. Keep praying, church. God has a building for us.